Hey, y'all, before we get started, I want to give a shout out to a review that was left for us on iTunes. This comes from Jay Oki. Jay Oki. I love that. Says, good stuff, y'all. Great content for the entrepreneur. Heather is hilarious and interviews her guests extremely well. Well, shucks. Thank you, Jayoki. It says, worth a listen, loving the pods she's casting. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to leave us that honest review. And hey, you know what I'm going to ask you? You know what? You know it. If you haven't yet, if you will go to your Apple podcasting app or iTunes, Leave us an honest review. I'll give you a shout out on the show. Please, pretty please. And I just realized how quick my life had passed by. I was thinking about things in the past. Hmm. And as I just kept thinking about it, I just realized, wait a minute, even if I'm 60, even if I'm 80, 90 years old, it's really not a lot of time. You know, I, I'm not saying it's not a blessing to live to 85 and 95 and 104, but it's not a lot of time when you yeah. think about decades and centuries ago, you know, when, when certain music came out, that was 1950, 1920s, like that time passes like that. So if I'm going to have a short amount of time here on earth, I want to do something that I love to do. I was born with several falls. I was told not to take risks. I may be blind, but I teach people how to see. And I'm proud to be an individual. This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe you are the one that everyone discounted. Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up. Use their voice and make an impact in this world. Where God leads you, he provides. That comes from today's guest, Lorenzo Yerby. And if this is your first time listening, what is up? My name is Heather Parody. I am your host. Today, we're talking about being an empath, storytelling, and changing the narrative around Black fathers. What? Yes, friends. You talk about an unconventional man. Our guest today says that he was born an empath and saw the world at a deeper level. Now, as an actor and screenwriter, he wants to use his platform to tell the story of those in the world that are often overlooked and misjudged. Lorenzo has co-starred on NCIS New Orleans and CW's Valor. He was later featured in the pilot for Skinny Dip at HBO's True Detective. And he was recently cast as the role of Lucky in the 24th, which was his breakout film performance. Today, we talk about the loneliness of following your dreams and staying committed to your path, how you can channel your empathy as a creative and stay committed even when things get hard, and Lorenzo's personal mission to change the narrative around what it means to be a Black man and how our culture views Black fathers. Y'all, this is fire. Fire. Good stuff. Make sure you connect with Lorenzo over on Facebook or Instagram at Lorenzo Earsby. That is linked in the show notes. And hey, do you have a creative in your life? A storyteller, someone who is committed to their craft and maybe just needs a little bit of encouragement. This is an episode that you want to share with them. So if you would take a screenshot, drop it in a direct message or a text message, you can just message them, message them however you want to. I'd really appreciate you joining me and getting Lorenzo's message out into the world. It's powerful, my friends. So thank you so much for helping me share this. You ready? Let's go ahead and do it. Being empathic, storytelling, and changing the narrative around Black fathers with actor Lorenzo Yerby. I am so excited to be connecting with, I wasn't going to say actor, but really just creative writer, musician, actor, all the things. Lorenzo, I uh, heard your story the other day in in a class that I was taking and your conviction 
I would say the conviction for the the craft of what you do. It was just, dude, it really, it was, it was amazing. And it is something you don't really see a lot. You see people who enter into spaces and kind of fade in and fade out. And sometimes it's not for them and that's cool. But to see someone who's living uh, with conviction for what they feel called to do is super refreshing. Uh, I'm so grateful to have you on. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Thank you for having me on. Where I want to know first, really, where does all that passion come from? When you were a, a young boy, were you that fiery about the arts? Was that you from the beginning? I think I found the arts to be a way to, you know, fulfill my purpose. There's, there's so many angles to talk about it. This is so almost left field, but one of my one of my passions has always been homeless people. I think a lot of people see homeless people and they think, oh, they, you know, they didn't go to school or they didn't live the life right mm-hmm. or they're drunk. But, you know, there's so many stories of homeless people who were, were into tech and they maybe just got laid off their job, but they're like engineers. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I've always wanted to do was, you know, to build tiny houses for, for homeless people. It's not about the money, but with the acting career, entertainment career, especially yeah. if you really establish yourself, the, the, the funding and the money is there to do those types of things. You know, yeah. like a lot of people hoard their wealth because they want to build their own mansions or buy Lamborghinis. I feel like I really can help the world. Same time, you don't want to, um, I, I have learned as I get older, you don't want to uh, cripple people and make them dependent on it. Mm-hmm. But some people just re- really need help for um, just a you know small amount of time to get on their feet. I've been that person before. I see even entertainment as a way to even tell those stories, you know, because a lot mm-hmm. of people don't know these stories. And, not everybody's going to pick up an article and read about it, you know? Right. So if you right. put it in the film, there's so many things that you put in the arts that in conversations that you can have with filmmaking that you can't have on a regular basis. So um, I just saw it as a way to tell the stories that I want to tell. It's a lot of empathy. Where does that empathy come from? Uh, I think I was born an empath. And, yeah. it's, and you know, to be honest, it's my sound foolish. I'm in my, <laughs> my early 30s, but I've just, oh, this is weird. I've just learned what empath is and why the way I am. Honestly, strongly, probably in the last 11 months. I, really? I had, I, yeah, I had no idea why I was the way I did. I, I mean, the way I was. And even, I think I've seen so many people say that they're empath. And I'm realizing now that they're not. They see like one thing and they're like, I'm an empath. And so I would try to, you know, study them and figure out, oh, okay, maybe that's why I am the way I am. But I'm like, I'm still different from them. And I think um, it's almost like magic. I just see the world on a deeper level. And when I try to explain it to people, especially being younger and not understanding that people couldn't see the things I could, it would end in a lot of arguments, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't realize that everybody couldn't do this. And until I, I, I always get around my friends, and I would say something. They're like, how do you know that? Like, what, Renzo? You know, when people get really close to me, like one of my closest friends now, it creeps her out. <laughs> because she's like, we you stop doing that like um i guess to the rest of the world it would be almost like a superpower like i can read people's minds i can read look at people and um like kind of tell what they're like uh we we were i'm not a big fan but for a reason i won't say we were watching the bachelorette this season the other day and i told her what every guy was going to be like before like started when they would just introduce themselves and as we're watching she's like how do you Uh, know this stuff and it's just like i'm I can read people's eyes and their spirits and all that kind of stuff. So if you didn't have like the language of like what an empath was prior, what did you think it was? I just thought it was care. I guess for huh. to make it simple, I just thought I cared about people deep because I've watched my mother do and I thought it was something I picked up from my mother. But being an empath goes so much deeper and it, it can really be, um, I was talking to somebody about the other day that it can be really frustrating. Seems cool at first, but it really can have you stressed out if you don't learn how to control it. I mean, there's benefits to it too, but... You feel everything. When I walk in a room, um, um, I was in Waffle House one day with another friend 
And we just went in there to get something to eat. And I saw this guy standing by the register and I immediately started bawling and crying. And my friend was like, what's wrong? And that's when she was just learning about the fact that I was an empath. And so I just started crying. I was like, I was just, I was like, this guy's going through a lot. And, you know, he's on his last dime or whatever. And I was just saying all the stuff without even notice I was saying it. And I'm literally just like weeping in tears, like just by looking at him. And so, you know, a lot of people don't understand. And a lot of my friends or associates, not my friends, but a lot of my associates, like Lorenzo's always crying or whatever, but I really feel other people. Like I, I can't explain it. It's led me in my life to want to help everybody. I love teaching is one of my passions, but mm-hmm. I get really aggravated when people won't let me teach them. <laughs> it's been something I'm having, I have been having to work on uh, because I literally want to help people. And so many people question like, why does this guy want to help me? It's, it's odd to other people. They think you have a motive or something. So who introduced you to the term empath? When was it like, oh, that's what I am? Well, no, I, I knew the word in the, the, in the term before, but what happened was I just stumbled upon the article and mm. it was like empaths are, are observing and all this. I was like, oh, I kept saying that I'm an empath and this, but no, an empath is all of those things. And I didn't know it. I was like, yeah, that's why I, I study people. And um, oh, how do I talk about this one? Um, it's not political, but it, some people take it a different way. But I had three friends and I was um, I'm always trying to help my friends with their dating. And I told I told three of my friends, um, I said, I, I wouldn't date that guy. I don't think he's you know the right one for you. And I've had this in other situations. I'll use a specific one. And I said, look, I said, this is you know, this is not about you know homophobia, anything like that. But I said, I think this guy is not straight. Mm-hmm. And to make a long story short, all three of those people ended up getting divorced because the husband would come out and say, you know what? I just did this because this or that and other. Or you know, one made it one of children. One was maybe in the closet and didn't want his family to know. But I was like, I was reading these things before they even got married. And I said, I know, you know, somebody proposes to you. You don't want somebody coming to you with negativity. But I said, we're close friends. You know, I wouldn't come to you if you were just an associate. And I tried to tell them before, but they went ahead and did. And all three of them, it was the same thing. But I'm learning now that I can't do that with everyone. Don't do it with associates, Lorenzo. Don't do it with people you just met because you'll just make people aggravated. Um, as, as common terms now, they'll think you're a hater. And so you yeah. can only, I can only use it with people that I'm close to. How have you not translated this empathy into your creativity? Well, here, here's one thing with the acting. Like I, t- I tell people all the time, is people kind of know it's my saying that I'd say my empathy is like my cheat code to acting. If I didn't have empathy or I was an empath, I don't think I would even be half of a good actor at all. Um, but I can really feel the emotions of what I'm doing. Like I can make myself feel what this character has been through. Um, Not all the time you want to go deep into the backstory of a character when you see a breakdown, but it, it helps me because I can like, okay, this sure. is where they're from and how would I put myself in those shoes, you know? And it's a little easier for me because I don't necessarily have to use substitution. It's just like, okay, this is what he's been through. I, I What he's been through, I make myself feel that cheat code. I don't know. So do you literally feel like you are the character? You is it is it hard to kind of separate like your identity or do you really step into that person where that's you? No, no, I, I, I like really step into, but I have learned over the years in different things that weren't acting, mm-hmm. acting how to, you know, separate myself like after after the shoot is over. But sometimes it will, I always tell people, I literally, if, especially if it's a really um, taxing role and demanding I will probably sleep a long time that night or the next day or whatever, but it doesn't take me long. Like, I don't think it takes me like a week or a month to, you know, really snatch out of it. It may take me about three days tops, you know? Yeah. Um, but for that reason, I am careful which roles I take on. I have had roles where I had to be maybe I'm using really layman's terms, but brash or mean or yeah. the bad guy. And literally, I didn't know it until, like I said, until recently. 
I would literally scare people while I'm on set because I, I think there's a not saying I'm a better actor than anyone, but it's a difference when somebody's saying like, hey, give me my money. But when I say it on set, like people are like, does he know we're just acting like <laughs> does he not know um, is, is dude okay, you know? And um I remember one scene, I was really young then and I definitely didn't know any of this stuff, but I remember it was my first time shooting a gun. It was blanks. And so after I did the scene the first time, <laughs> it was an independent production and they did get clearance. I will say they did, they did get clearance and all the paperwork, proper paperwork for weapons. But after we did the scene one time, I think my demeanor was just so dark that the director was like, I think that one take was enough and we don't. <laughs> Because I think wow. I was scaring other people on set, wow. even though I wasn't even pointing the course, of course, because they're not on the other mm -hmm. side of the camera as we're shooting. But I think they were they weren't sure if I was all right in the head. So, um, but yeah, um, I just really stepped into those roles. But I, I like it. When did you know that you wanted to do this with your life? It was something that I was interested in when I was younger. Um, but the story I always tell how I got into this was um, I was at the library one day and I was trying to figure out, you know, how to get into acting. And I think it was kind of pretty much across my browser. And this guy named Theater Salazar, he walked up and he asked me what I was trying to do. Of course, he knew but he was just going to see if I was going to talk about it, I guess. And I said, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to get into acting. And so he showed me to a website that showed me how to get into extra work. And then I got extra work. And the, that day I was on set with the director, um, I, I was working on... Um, a film called ATL it was 2005, Chris Robinson. Um, he bumped me up to a role in the film and gave me a part as the nerd. And then <laughs> when I saw how much money I could make for one day, I was like, wait, I like doing this and I can make money doing this. And that that's that was it for me. And I just, 2005. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been a while. It's, it's been a while. Yeah, because the industry wasn't even here. Um, I think we had, we had ATL, We Are Marshall, and some other film that shot here, but it was like three films over the course of like five years. And this was way before the industry got here. I didn't have an agent. I was just doing a bunch of independent projects. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been a long grind. I think a lot of people think it's overnight, but it never is. Yeah, that was, that was one of the reasons too I wanted to talk to you was staying in the game for this long and like your, your dedication, your drive, just staying at that level again, not to say anything with, you know, if people quit, because I think it's good if you quit, if it's, if you decide that's not you, then, then that's awesome. But right. also to maintaining like this baseline passion and grit to where you're like, dude, this is painful. This is hard, but I know this is what I'm called to do. Mm -hmm. That conviction deep inside of you is that a decision or do you think that that's something that like God universe would ever put inside of you and you just, you don't have the the ability to, to waver from that? Well, I mean, you no, know, God gives us free will. So I have the, I have the ability to go away from it, but it's partly a decision. And, um, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm trying not to use too many colloquialism, but what God leaves you, he leads you, I'm sorry, he provides. And so sure. um, I had no idea that my, me being a musician would come into play. Um, because even in college, I tried to work a nine to five and that was like death. I don't know how people do it. So, you know, kudos to them. And I really commend them on that. But the way I made my money in between time was I did nanny work or as a nanny and I played music during the weekends. And so that's how I, you know, brought my income in to pay bills. A long time ago, I just decided, as the saying goes, you know, life is short and you want to do something that you enjoy doing. And one day I just was really ruminating and thinking about it. It's like, I tell people this all the time. It's kind of one of the conversations I have with a lot of people that, you know, I, I, it was one day I realized that, you know, my mom is twice my age and, and I just realized how quick my life had passed by. I was thinking about things in the past. Mm. 
And as I just kept thinking about it, I just realized, wait a minute, even if I'm 60, even if I'm 80, 90 years old, it's really not a lot of time. You know, I, I'm not saying it's not a blessing to live to 85 and 95 and 104, but it's not a lot of time when you yeah. think about decades and centuries ago, you know, when, when certain music came out, that was 1950, 1920s, like that time passes like that. So if I'm going to have a short amount of time here on earth, I want to do something that I love to do. I don't want to be stuck mm-hmm. at somebody's desk and miserable. And I'm not saying anything about anybody that has done it because God placed a crazy sure. thing that allows me to say, I don't care if, you know, I almost can't pay the bills some days or there's been plenty of days when it was just peanut butter and jelly to eat, you know? Sure. Sometimes sure. there was not peanut butter and jelly. So I think a lot of times when people get in this industry, they want their family and friends and other actors to think like, oh, I got a condo and things are great and I'm balling out and I'm, no, it's, it's a struggle, you know? you know? Even when you, you get films like I did, you have to stretch that money over the entire year. That's what people don't realize. Even when I have money coming in, but uh, nobody knows that you have to pay for your takings every time you have yeah. to take an audition. The money yeah. is always coming out. So it's not about just getting rich. You have to invest a lot in this career before you see the return, but that's why you have to really love doing it. That's a, you know, one of the things that's come up a lot from our listeners and so forth is like this, this idea of like loneliness when you're sticking to something and it just maybe doesn't make sense to the people around you. And I was wondering like, as a creative and artist, like how have you kind of created like maybe a support system with, you know, it's the unconventional path. Here's another thing. I'll try to make this one short. God already prepared me for that. To be honest, I don't I want to sound dark and sad or anything like that, but I actually really don't have that. I really I really don't have a big support system. And I'll explain because growing up, I went to I went to 13 different schools. And so nobody really remembers me from school. And I don't think a lot of people realize how blessed they are to live in one place and grow up with people and say, this is my childhood friend, like my Mm. childhood friends. I I don't I don't even know where they are now. Mm. So. It made me almost okay with and strong in, in being a loner. And I would even say, I don't want to say I'm that important, but God made my mother only child. And so she lives like an only child, even in her adult life, which trained me how to live like an only child and be okay being by myself. And so I have not because I'm a bad person, but I have very sure. limited friends or whatever, but where other people have, they can post something in their support systems. Like it's like 500 likes out of nowhere. Mine's is like, nobody really knows me. Like everyone that knows me knows of me. Like mm-hmm. I haven't spent, I can't say I've spent years around anybody on my social media. Like really there's been people I've met at maybe a meeting or this, you know, this or that. Mm-hmm. This is actually something I actually want to do like a, I don't know, seminar or whatever, just talk to people about that loneliness thing and how to deal with it. Because yeah, that's what my life is like. And I, yeah, most of the people I know are people I've just met during acting one or two times, or maybe even churches. I've changed a lot because I'm a musician. I play at different churches. Um, so I don't really have too many lifelong people that I've known over even four years. Wow. I know maybe I would say, I don't want to exaggerate, but I mean that I communicate with on a consistent basis. Number one, I only know about six people that I've known over four years. Wow. Yeah. That I know, yeah. not know of, not met, not associates. I mean, like people that I actually know it's, it's just kind of been built into my life and some, it can get rough. Mm-hmm. You, know, you sure. see people with their big support systems and it's like, I can't even get my stuff to, you know, get yeah. off my page, much less, much less, uh, viral, um, or anything like that to get any notoriety. But, um, you know, God, God kind of built me. Yeah. From I mean, that's, that's real. I think, you know, we're talking about, you know, not losing steam and staying in the game and stuff. I think that's what pulls a lot of people out because when people are kind of looking at you sideways, like, Oh, that's something you're still doing. You know what I mean? Like I know with this show, oh, they do. you know, yeah. Like I gave up my career, like 
quit everything and just like went all in with this. And, uh-huh. you know, that's cool in your early twenties, but you know, I'm, I'm 32 now and it's like, Oh, right. okay. Well, you're not playing. That's what <laughs> everybody No. So you know what I mean? Yeah. They're like, all right. Uh, you know, your twenties your was for that. Now you, you just crossed 30. So what are you doing? Like, but no, I'm, I'm sticking yeah. with it. 40, 45, 50, whatever it is, you know, and uh, you have I to have it. that tenacity and determination. Like I don't, people don't realize mm-hmm. that. Because the yeah. thing is, they're watching your career so close on your social media, and they yeah. they think they know how the timeline works. Yes. And I'm like, no. Like I remember, I've had this conversation with so many people. Jennifer Hudson blew up overnight. No, she didn't. Right. Jennifer Hudson's probably been singing at open mics. She's been way before yeah. American Idol. You know, nobody yeah. sees that journey. So when they see yours up close, they're like, oh, you're not as talented, or you're not like this person because no, because their friends and family were saying the same thing to them. So you can't pay those people any mind. You have to just keep grinding it out and believing in yourself. You know exactly. Yeah, and then too, not only have you stayed in the game, but you've also correct me if I'm wrong. If anything is wrong, but expanded into. Uh, I think I heard that you didn't like all the roles you were seeing, so you decided to start writing. If that's correct, oh, yeah. and like writing your own scripts and stuff like that. So tell us a little bit about that process when you were acting, and you're like, you know what, screw this. I'm going to start writing my own stuff too. I'm, I'm a story. Well, obviously you just talked about, I'm a storyteller. So I always have to go back. The short part of it is I was in, I was registered for classes in high school one day and I was a basketball player. So I want to go to the gym. What boy doesn't want to go to the gym as an elective? They tell me all of the gym classes are full. So I got to take typing up. I was pissed. I can't even tell you my anger. Yeah. I smashed lockers on the way down the hall. Everything. I, I was mad. Never came back. For years and years and years and years and years. And so, so I get into acting. And so, you know, you're always looking for casting calls, open casting calls or whatever. You're looking at auditions or whatever. And so I would just be looking at the breakdown. It would be the same thing. Thug, you know, killer beats his girlfriends is drug dealer. It was the same type of stuff over and over and over. And I was like, this is not the representation of the black men that I grew up with. Not right. my friend Ian. I grew up in the hood too. Like I grew up in a rough area, but not, it was like, Three, maybe four people doing that. And the rest of 95 to 120 of us were not doing that. So I was like, why do they keep perpetuating this image? And so many people would be complaining about it. And so I said, well, I'm going to do something about it. I want to, you know, start writing these stories. And so out of my creative mind, I thought I could just start writing. Like I think most people do. And they never realize that they, they go out there at 20 years and they don't realize that you have to learn this. You have to learn writing, learn the psychology. Learn the structure, learn dialogue, learn character development. There's so many things to learn. But anyway, it's just so funny that when I stepped into that, I was at a writing group one day and the people were just saying how long it took them to draft their scripts out or whatever. And when I heard so many people complain about it, once again, where God leads you, he provides. And it's like, oh my gosh, that typing class that I was pissed off about, God sat a girl next to me. And this is funny because me, I remember her name is Whitney. Me and her never spoke the entire class, but we were in competition the whole time. And I'm a competitive person. He also put that in me. So I would be looking at her screen, seeing how far she is on the paragraph. And I would just steam away trying to beat her. And I never cared about typing, but God knew 15 years ago that he was going to use that typing yeah. to help me write scripts, you know? And it's, it's just so much quicker for me now because I type fast. You know, maybe people don't find that fascinating, but I do. It's just amazing. Like, you know, things that you were mad about is I'm so it's happy. It's real. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the things too, with it, with the acting bit, I've only been doing that for like a year. Like I'm a baby with all that, but even outside of that in the small business world shows all of that. It's the same story where people, there's almost like this, like a better terms, like this kind of pressure, the scarcity piece to where you're just going to take what you can get. You're going to do all this. And 
I'll honestly say you're the only person that I have ever heard say to make strategic decisions and look at things you want to say yes to. And if that aligns with like the image and the brand that you would have made, because especially when you're starting off, and I know there's a balance there, you know, starting off, you just want to get everything that you can get and all that. And you're not necessarily thinking long-term. I just wanted to ask you a little bit about that because I know that, you know, when I heard you speak, you talked about not always saying yes to everything and thinking about the story that you want to tell and actually making a, a conscious decision about, you know, who you're portraying, the message that you're sharing, the story and all that and so forth. And a lot of people listening are just starting off. And so I know, again, there's there might be like a balance there or whatever, but just your philosophy tips on, you know, if we're storytellers, whether it's through acting or podcasting or writing or whatever it may be, you know, shifting from maybe a scarcity fear of I'm just going to do what I need to do. Um, and also like maybe living from a place of, I guess, more consciousness and decision, mm. what kind of artist you want to be. Yeah. Well, you know, but two things there is, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a, a person of faith. And I, even as I got older, I really had to even get a better understanding of what that actually was because so many people throw their word around. Word. But I have faith. I have faith in God and I have faith in myself, which is the, I think that's the part that most people miss. They have mm -hmm. faith in God, which is cool, but you also have to have faith in yourself. I know the talent that I have and I know where I can go. And I also realize that I know you've heard this before that it's not a race, it's a marathon. And so you can take something now, but you got to think, is this going to put me in a box and typecast me? Or is this something that's going to have me not working again? There's so many stories like yeah. that online. You'll see, you know, where's this actor at now? But they, they've gotten locked in such a box. They can't get out of it. And so I always think about, you know, what does this look like long term if I mm. accept this role? You know, I just feel like I have a bigger purpose even for representation of, of black men and younger black men who are watching yeah. you on screen. And whether you realize yeah. it or not, once you hit that screen, you're a superhero yeah. to somebody. That's true. You know, they're like, I want to be on screen. How do they do that? So the images I portray on screen uh, represent black men. It also shows um, it exposes uh, young black men to something to inspire to be. Let's use a, a very common one, being a doctor. If mm -hmm. you don't see yourself on screen as a doctor, like right. you're not going to think I can be a doctor because people don't realize the psychology that media and the hold that media has, yes. you know? Um, yes. And a lot of people are doing illegal things or, or doing things they shouldn't be because they haven't been exposed to another type of opportunity. Um, a story I use often is I, as when I was a Manny, I worked for this, uh, to make this one short, I worked for a, a lady and she was paying me out of her pocket, her own money. She was married, but she would only pay me as her Manny um, out of her pocket. And so I, with that job, I was making about, I think like very high profile family. I did a lot of high profile jobs. So I don't want anybody to think, oh, I can go make that kind of money. But um, I can't say what his job was, but uh, she was paying me, um, I think 975 a week mm -hmm. just from her money. And it was, I'd also be an empath and notice how easily she handed me that check. It was like, it wasn't like, <sighs> It wasn't hard for her. And anyways, I asked, I asked her what she did for a living. And she said she works in textile and upholstery or whatever. And eyes of young black man, I've never heard of that. And so, you know, a lot of our black youths don't know jobs outside of rapper, basketball player, yeah, yeah. because we don't see that of ourselves on screen. So that was one of the things when I got into writing, I said, I want to do. Um, even now I hear a lot of people talking about, well, let's take, and now this is going to be a very controversial conversation, but I don't mind, but they'll say, let's take this superhero that was in Marvel and make him black. And I'm like, why can't we make our own black right, superhero? Right, now, right. I'm not trying to get an argument of like, yeah, let them have their thing. But mine's like, why can't we make our own black hero from sure. scratch? Like sure. IP sales, I understand that, but let's make our own stuff from scratch, make our own doctors, mm. our own lawyers. And so our young black people can see representation. Um, and it's a lot of them just don't know better. Mm. 
a lot of them didn't yeah. have a mother like I did. They don't have the mindset I was born with to aspire to be more. So they need that in front of them and those images to show them that they can be that. Mm, I love that. Tell me about the stories that you are writing and the story you want to tell. Um, whew, I have so many. Mine are mine are, are mainly based around black fatherhood. Uh, my father passed away when I was a baby of, of lupus, and so I never had a father a father in my life. You know, my stepfather is a whole nother story. He was it was terrible. So I don't even count that. But my father passed when I was two years old. So it's always been a void that I want to feel is, is which is why I always had mentees in my life. But showing more positive images of black fathers, because it's so it's so pronounced and said in the media that black fathers aren't around. And I'm black. I grew up in some rough neighborhoods. All my friends had their fathers. All of them were there. All of them were taking care of their kids. And I'm like, why is this narrative of black men not taking care of their children so known and so like people think it's true? And I'm like, it's not true. It's not a thing. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's not true. I grew up in some rough. I'm not even talking about middle class people who are able to take care of their children. Yeah. I've seen black fathers yeah. go to work every day and feed three and four children and work hard. Yeah. And like, stop telling the world that black men don't take care of their children because it's not true. Are there some mm-hmm. that don't? Yes. There's some sure. Asians. There's some, there's some, right. there's a lot of fathers that don't take care of their children, but they seem to put it only on black fathers. And I know black fathers that are out there working hard and teaching their children and coming home tired and, and cooking too, you know? So I'm like, mm. you know, I want to change that narrative that's been placed on black men. Do you really believe that story telling stories can actually like change culture? Yes. And that's one of the main reasons I started doing it. Mm. Uh, so me being an empath and just the way my mother raised me, I've always mm. wanted to be my own person. If there was a popular shoe out, you best to believe that I did not wear it on purpose because I always wanted to be my own self. Yeah. And so, like I said, I learned about being an empath and all that stuff later. I remember this this distinct story that I tell all the time. And it was it was the most mind blowing thing for me when I realized how important media was. I grew up in the hood. I told you, I grew up in the hood. I grew up in a rough area. So some of the boys, yes, they wore baggy pants and they sagged their pants below their butt and all that kind of stuff. And I remember one day, I, I can't even remember the artist at the time, but I know it was between Kanye and it was some other people. But skinny jeans came out and it took about 11 days. All of the baggy pants were gone. And I was like, yeah. what? And I don't want to get, I don't want to use certain terms on here, but I remember to just put it into terms. If you wore tight pants, skinny jeans, oh, you were getting, you were getting beat up. You were getting called names, everything. But then yeah. it was like in less than two weeks flat, it completely changed. And I, being an empath, would watch people walk around with the skinny jeans on and their eyes were questioning, am I going to get picked on? Is this cool? And I would see them searching for validation. And that's when I quickly realized how important media is and how it controls the minds of people. And as I tell my friend all the time, I used to think brainwash was turning the spinny, spinny thing as we see on the cartoons. But I was like, wow, media can really change the way people act, the way they dress and all of that. And that's when I really wanted to get into storytelling. Like that mm. one made it for me. What, what do you think makes a good story become a great story? Uh, making it making it relatable. Um, mm. Making it uh, relatable one, making it primal. I mean, of course you would have the oohs and ahs in there and suspense and stuff like that, but just making it true to life, you know? 
we do like escape to escape a lot of times when we talk about Marvel and action films and stuff like that, but they still have elements that are primal that we can all connect with. So you have to connect with your audience on a, on a level that makes sense. And you'll see a lot of people say like, I like that film. That part didn't even make sense. And that snatches people out of the film. Mm -hmm. but, you know, you want to make it relatable and, you know, you know, make sure you find your audience that you, you can really speak to. I love that. Writers usually write from point of views that they're used to that, which is why all my scripts have some kind of father element in them. I love that. I've been asking all my guests lately about their unsung hero in their life. A lot of times when we think of greatness and making a difference in this world, you know, our minds automatically go to some of these names you've heard of. And it's really interesting because all the people I've talked to, there's always like this one person who you'll never know their name. It was a small thing that just had a big impact on their life. Like somebody the other day told me that somebody gave them a cupcake when they were having a bad day and how much that impacted their lives and those small little things. And I was wondering like in your, in your journey of, of storytelling and stepping into the calling that God has on your life, what is a moment that maybe sticks out in your mind of someone who intervened with you or shared something with you or did for you? Who is that unsung hero in your life? <sighs> to be honest, I've been blessed to have many and I've always, it's funny because I, I think some of us do, we have fake interviews in our head of answering this question <laughs> I literally have so many. Um, I'll use this one. There's so many, but this one's popping out right now. Okay. Um, I, w I went to, I was at Wendy's one day with a friend, my friend Kajin. We were walking up to Wendy's and this guy was sitting on the, on the wall outside and he had his veteran hat on and he was homeless. And so I, I'm talking to him, talking to him, talking to him and just hold the conversation. It, for me, it's easy. I've, I've seen my mother do it too. So maybe she's the one too. Uh, my mother will talk to anybody. She never treats anybody like they're lower than anybody. You know, she talked to homeless people, drunks, crackheads, it doesn't matter. But anyway, so I'm holding a conversation with him and I'm ready to do my thing that I do feeling like I'm helping and I'm getting ready to buy him some food or give him some money. Oh my gosh, trying to be emotional. So I go to hand him the money and um, he hands it back to me and he says he doesn't want it. And he tried to give me something that he had. I, I wish I could glamorify the story, but I don't remember what he tried to give me, but he tried to give me a gift and he said, I don't need the money. Oh gosh, don't get emotional. <laughs> he said, I just thank you for taking the time to talk to me and treat me like a human. Mind blowing. Because the, everyone else is like, oh, look at this bum outside. He's not, not done anything with his life and he's hungry and he wants me to give him some food. Because, you know, he's sitting outside of Wendy's. So you're thinking he's waiting for someone to come in and come out with food. And maybe it's just a pit stop for him. And he just sat, he was sad. I mean, he was like literally slumped over on the wall and pretty much lying on the ground. He just had his shoulder on the brick wall and he's pretty much lying on the ground. And when he said, he said, just thank you for talking to me and treating me like a human being. Wow. Wow. He didn't want money. He didn't want a chicken sandwich, not a fry, not a juice, not a drink to keep his stuff lubricated, not water. He just wanted somebody to talk to him. It's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I can't even say anymore. It's just, yeah. I know it. That, that moment you just made me realize I wanted to tell these people's story. That, yeah. You know, not all of them are bums and people who didn't go to school or were on drugs. Some of them never been on drugs. They just fell on hard times. You know, I've been that person. My house caught fire and I was pretty much homeless for a while. And, you know, mm -hmm. an actor, I don't think a lot of actors like couch surfing, you're homeless. Like, mm -hmm. so, you, you know, we, we've all been through it. And so it just made me really, you know, connect with him on another level and realize that we're, we're all, you know, we're all the same. Man. You've mentioned your mom like five times in this interview. Is she the one that has implanted this kind of worldview? My mom's a, Everybody says it because it's a thing to say. Whew, I, my mom's a freaking superhero. My mom is, my mom is literally like 
an angel above all angels. Like she, the fact that she even, well, the short stories of how I got to Atlanta is my mom moved to Atlanta with no job lined up. I went from, I came from a small town where I came, rent was like three times, like literally the rent here was 900 rent there literally was like $350, very small town, especially, you know, back then. My mom had no job lined up or anything. And she just moved here to Atlanta because she wanted us to have a better life. And I understood it then, but I didn't understand until I was older. Like, like what kind of chance is that to take just having your savings account, little money in your savings account? Like, I'm going to pay the rent with this and, you know, not even know where we're going to live or anything. She just knew she wanted us to have a better life and more opportunity. And she said this small town, you know, it didn't have enough opportunity, which was Columbus, Georgia, which I love. I grew up there. You know, I love people there, but there's not much opportunity there. And my mom is just like, just even the way she treats people, she has no motive. She doesn't want anything from anyone. She does mm-hmm. no one wrong. Like, I can really say that. I know a lot of my friends are like, my mom does this. And my mom said this about my mom doesn't gossip. My mother doesn't do any of that thing. And it made me just realize, like, I am blessed to have the mother that I have. Yes. Not many people have this relationship with their yes. mother like that. You know, especially being a single parent. She talks talked to me about the birds and the bees and all the stuff that fathers do. I can't even, t- I couldn't, there's no way you can give me three hours of interview and I cannot tell you all the stuff that my mother has done. Like, I love that. It deserves it all, man. That's so cool. Well, I have one final question for you. I first of all, I just want to acknowledge you and thank you for not only your time today, but also to what you're putting out into the world and the intention to not only tell stories, but to see people and to represent the kind of man that you want these little boys to see. And I know right now, you know, you're laying the groundwork, but I know that it's going to bear fruit one day. And it's just so encouraging as a creative and leader to um, to have you as an example. So thank you so much for doing that for us. And also to a total side note, I'm a mama. And if my kids could talk about me one day, the way that you just talked about your mom, Dude, that's goals right there. That's awesome. Where can people connect with you online and follow your journey? I'm trying to get better at this social media thing. My uh, <laughs> my Instagram is uh, L-A-L-A-Yearby, which is L-A and my last name, Yearby, which is um, Y-E-A-R-B-Y. And uh, my Facebook is um, facebook.com slash Lorenzo Yearby. All that will be linked in the show notes. Make sure you guys connect with him. Show him some love. Very last question. He told this story of this young man who was in the library, and he's trying to figure out how to become an actor. And someone came over, got online, showed him some things, but you hadn't started this journey. You hadn't started writing yet hadn't gone through the ups and the downs and all the things stepping into this creative life that you had no idea what was to lay before you. And really the, the excitement, the thrill, the frustration of all of it that was to come. If you were to go and sit with that young man in that library and tell him one thing that you know now that he did not understand back then, what would that be? Um, I hate to say it, but one thing I learned, the better the things that help you in life are very cliche and very simple. And just to stay mm-hmm. focused and don't let people into your life that will derail your focus. Um, I, I did that for about yeah. four to five years. And I, you know, God, you know, God leads you. But I feel like I could have been further along if I didn't let that happen. But I did learn some things from it. But just stay focused on your goals. I mean, it's something we hear all the time. And I want to find a better way to even teach that to my mentees. And some of them say I do. But yeah, that focus, not not about spending money, not about an image and buying expensive clothes and all that stuff. Focus on find your focus, what you want to do and just stay focused on that and zone in. If you have a relationship or a friendship or anything that's derailing your focus and having you go off in somewhere you shouldn't be, don't, that you need to get rid of that friendship or that relationship and just focus on where you're trying to go. How about that? 
How about that? Was that not good? I told you it was. One of my main takeaways from this conversation was just the commitment, the drive, the vision of Lorenzo to create what he wanted to see in the world. It's easy to say, oh, you know, oh my God, this is messed up. This is wrong, whatever. But it's a whole other thing to be a part of the solution. That's what unconventional leadership is all about. Stepping in, filling the void in your unique way, in the way that you have been called to do it. Again, connect with Lorenzo, dude. I can't wait to see where he goes from here at Lorenzo Yerby over on Facebook and on the IG. And hey, I want to hear from you. What is your main takeaway from this conversation? All you have to do is text us at 501-214-4307. Mention this episode. Let us know your main takeaway. Again, that is 501-214-4307. We love you. We're in your corner. See you soon.